Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hope. This is where you get to hear how to feel happy, balanced, and worthwhile. How to make that lonely ache vanish and feel empowered, confident, and secure. I'm Lauren Abrams, and I get to help you feel that magic again since going through my own dark night of the soul by chatting with incredible leaders, healers, and elders who give us their messages of hope after overcoming challenges of their own. Today, we're talking to the founder of Mary's Blue Door, Mary O'Dwyer. Are you ready to get rid of all that gunk that's built up inside of you, a lot of it that you're probably totally unaware of that may be coming out in all kinds of painful ways, even physically. Mary heals emotional traumas through breathwork and does it quickly. Today, she'll guide you to open the door to your heart and show you how to move forward with renewed direction, empowerment, and purpose. She's going to tell you how to lower your stress levels, feel lighter, more energized. You get tools and exercises right now to deal with stresses from the past and current situations. Mary's an ex-control freak who now knows how to let go and enjoy life, her family and those around her, plus make money doing what she loves. Who knew our breath and emotions connected this much? You can release all of it in seconds. Mary did, and you can too. Change your breath and change your life right now. Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hope, Mary O'Dwyer. Thank you. It's so wonderful to be here. It's so great to finally meet you. And I loved getting to know you and your story because looking at you now, like you are so not the person that I read about that was controlling everything and keeping everything like just tightly wound up and controlled. And I guess a friend came up to you and told you that you basically were not spiritually fit. That's I'm paraphrasing what I read. But through all of that and the unwinding, you instantly took to breathwork. So how did you like get to breathwork? I guess breathwork kind of found you. I, you know, I think when you have those awarenesses, either through life or through your, fr- my friend that, you know, pointed out that I was spiritually disconnected was the word that she used. Yeah, that was great. It kind of got my mind. First of all, I was like, what? She's from like, I'm in California way too long, you know, the spiritual disconnected nonsense. And, you know, this Irish Catholic girl, this did not line up, but it was true. And I began, you know, it, it because it was true, it stuck with me, even though initially I was like, that's weird. Why did she say that? And the more I realized that where I was wrote, then the universe just responds, right? So I found Reiki, I found essential oils, and then I saw this flyer for this class that promised peace and joy, 25 bucks. It was called Transformational Breath, and down I went. I didn't know anybody, and that 90 minutes changed my life. For me, that 90 minutes changed the direction of my life, and God love him, my husband's life. He didn't know what he was getting on board with, so I always joke with my clients, you know, read the fine print. It says transformational transformational. <laughs> so was that just a regular breathwork class that you went to? Yeah, it was at a yoga studio. It was a kind of an introductory workshop. And transformational breath is a very specific type of breathwork. It was founded about 40 years ago by Judith Kravitz, who now owns the largest breath school on the planet, actually. And it's a very deep, what they call integrative type of breathwork. There's all sorts of different breathworks and they all have a different benefit or a different you know, outcome. So there's our regular day-to-day breathing and then there's regulatory breaths, kind of like we'll do in yoga, like a box breath where you breathe in for four, hold for four, out for four. And that kind of helps to regulate our mood. It helps to calm our anxiety in the moment. You know, take a deep breath. Those are all regulatory breath works. And then there's integrative breath work and integrative breath work takes that a step further, gives you all the benefits of that regulatory breath work, but then it goes deeper and starts to heal because to integrate is to make whole. 
And we all have our masks, right? And we hide behind our masks and we repress this and we repress that and we shut that part of us down and hide that part and, you know, pretend we don't have that other part. So there's all these kind of pieces of us that are scattered around. And so with breathwork, the integration kind of brings all of that back together. I mean, not all in one go, but, you know, bit by bit. So that's what that term integrative means. And I just like to give that visuals so that we can kind of understand what makes that different to other regulatory breath works. So how did that first change you? And before I get to like, how, do, how does a listener know what they need? And so how did that change you first? So for me, that session for me was just overwhelmingly powerful. And everybody has a different response in their first session, right? Everybody's journey is different. And in that birth work, you breathe in a very specific way and it heals physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. So they kind of look at how you're breathing so that you can work with your physical body to take a deeper, fuller breath. And then the way that you breathe is you create a lot of, uh, you raise the energy, you raise the vibration of your body. So you kind of get into that altered state. And then that helps us to tap into some of those old wounds and traumas and dramas that we've been carrying. And it's kind of like the breath stirs the pot, so to speak, because this is raising the vibration. And we've all repressed this stuff, right? You're from when we're a small kid, when you're on the playground and someone teases you and you don't want to be the kid that cries in front of the whole class. So you suppress those tears and you pretend that whatever they're saying doesn't hurt you, right? So we learn very young to suppress and repress. And then, so now you bring in this high vibration of energy with the breath and it sort of stimulates these old wounds that we've repressed and suppressed. And the laws of physics, they have something of a high vibration and contrast something of a low vibration, they kind of want to entrain. And so these old emotions will come up and start to, you, you know, you, you're taught how to breathe through them and how to move through them so that they can be released. And the closest analogy I can give is, let's say you have a big, you just have a breakdown at home and you just have a big old cry. And afterwards, you feel so much better, right? The fun part of this session is instead of that crying episode lasting 30 minutes, like it can at home on your own, you move through it in like one or two minutes. And then as you move through that, when we start to let go of that, kind of like after that big cry, you feel lighter, you feel relief, you feel like I can breathe again. And so when we get to that state, we can then more deeply connect with ourselves more deeply connect with whatever we have faith in, which for me, coming from an Irish Catholic background was, you know, God and the angels and Jesus. And so for me in that session, I had a big, huge release. I was the person that was bawling, crying and letting that go. And then, you know, obviously the facilitators know how to run the session and the music and there's all the things that they do, right? And so the last, let's say 15 minutes of the session is all about this quiet meditative space where you get to have that opportunity to connect with yourself after having released some things that need to be released. And so when I got to that point, I encountered what I would describe as the unconditional love. And for me, it was the unconditional love of the angels or God, but it doesn't matter where it comes from. Unconditional love feels what it feels like. And for the first time, I realized that I did not have to perform in order to be loved because somewhere along the line, I had adopted that belief that in order to be loved and valued, I had to perform. I had to get good grades. I had to do this. No, no one. And my brothers and sisters to say, none of them bought into that. So it was nothing my parents did. <laughs> that was for some reason. I don't know. Was it the blueprint I came in with? Was it, you know, competing with my sister? I don't know. And to have that relief, but then also the deep sorrow when I realized how much love I pushed away. And so it was just this eye-opening 
change. And it was like, I came out of that session a different person. I didn't even know how different. All I knew was something really weird had happened. <laughs> yeah. like, and I loved it. And I didn't want to tell anyone about it because they would, you know, maybe, you know, <laughs> send me somewhere, lock me up somewhere. Yeah, yeah. But it was, because this was back in 2013 when, you know, that was only eight years ago, but that stuff was still really weird. And unusual to be a part of. Oh, I don't think so. But then again, I was in that world. So. <laughs> well, we're down at, well I where I live, coming from Catholic Ireland and living down in Mur- Temecula, Murrieta, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, that's conservative, yes. you know, area. It was very, uh, it was I weird. People would be like, you know, the family like, oh, so, and I would bring it up. So how's the weather there? I love that. So here you are experiencing all this change and somebody listening, how would they know? Because there are so many types of breath work that you could do. How do you know where to go, what to do, how to start? You know, you start wherever you're at, right? <laughs> start wherever you're at, <laughs> right. you know, wherever you're at. I think for everybody needs transformational breath, Absolutely. but not everybody is ready for it. You'll know when you're ready to go. And if you are at the end of your rope, if you are just done, if you are burned out, overwhelmed, you've done all the things and you're in a rut. Cause I felt like a spoiled princess because I had everything the world told me I should have in order to be happy. I had a small part-time business I had started. I had been been able to stay home for a few years with my children before I had a great education. You know, before I stayed home with my children, I had a great job. I had a great husband. We had no financial issues. We had, you know, two cats, two dogs, everything short of the white picket fence. What did I have to complain about? Nothing, except I was miserable inside. I was completely miserable, but I knew nobody else would have known it. I didn't know until my friend really- I call that a lot of times, that's that inner calling, knowing you're supposed to be doing something, your true purpose. And you don't exactly. know what it is sometimes. And to tap into that and to know what it is. And for you, it's clearly to be teaching breathwork, which is so beautiful and incredible. Now, other people may need breathwork to tap into what it is. And they might. And, you know, you can be in a crisis of some kind. A lot of people come because they, they're curious about it and they'll do one or two sessions and be like, oh, it's great. It's beautiful. And no, they come. People are like transformed from being with you. And so many people are miserable right now. They're lost. Yeah. They're in so many really unhappy places, lonely in even if they're in a relationship or they have friends, but they're lonely. And there's this deep seated loneliness that's going on. There really is because we've gotten out of the habit of even reaching out to people because you know for so long everyone was locked down and you're afraid well can i call them will it be okay if i come to them will they want me to wear a mask will they not want me to wear a mask will they want me to hug them will they not want me to hug them and we're kind of afraid of almost saying well i'm okay with that or i'm not okay with that because we're kind of nervous about other people's judgment and so what i love about the breath work is just by working with our breath we can change how we feel so even like you know one of my clients she's a new client she found me on instagram i do periodically i do these little five minute videos i call them breathing breaks and they're just five minutes like oh i have a little time and i'll do a quick you know and they're not even anything special but she in that five minutes had such she's like if i got that much relief in two or three minutes, what could I get if I did a whole session? And so she was primed, you know, and it was the perfect solution for her. Just start working with your breath and start noticing how it feels to you. And then if you know that you're in crisis, if you know that you're grieving, if you know that you've tried all the things, then you need something deeper than breathe in for four, hold for four, out for four. That's going to settle your mood in the moment, but it's not going to change the course of your direction. So what are the three ways our emotions and our breath connect? How does that work? 
we learn, like I said earlier, to repress and suppress our emotions, you know, the kid on the playground. And we learn to do that by holding our breath. So what we do, think of it, you're driving down the freeway and somebody almost swerves into you. Do you take a big, deep breath or do you go like we all go, right? We hold our breath because in that moment, we can't feel the fear because we have to stay in control of the vehicle. Most of us don't go back and revisit that moment to heal that little moment, to integrate that fear, right? We just move on. So we build that up over time. So that's the first way that the, the breath will impact us. We repress to stop the control or to stop the flow of that emotion. Every time we do that, we're contracting muscles. So for me, I feel it like right here around my diaphragm, my rib cage. Other yeah, people, it might be more it. like- My gut. gut yeah, I, that's where I too. feel it. Yeah, yeah. Other people, it's more the shoulders like, ah, you know? So we all have our own way. So when that happens, let's say now that we're, Laura, both in our 20s, right? We've been doing this for 20 years. So we're constantly contracting those muscles. And over time, those muscle fibers, and this is my science geek coming out, they get tighter and tighter and it'll not start to form. And as they get tighter and tighter, there's less flexibility. So now when we go to take a deep breath, we can't because those intercostal muscles, those muscles between our rib cages, or maybe our shoulder muscles or our diaphragm itself, or some abdominal muscles, all of those peripheral muscles that are involved in our respiration, they can't expand as much. So our rib cage physically can't expand. So now we can't actually take as big a breath as we thought we could. So we've shut down our emotions. And now we're shutting down our respiratory capacity, which of course means when the anxiety comes, now we can't take the deep breath that we really need because in order to trigger a relaxation response in our brain, we need to get that oxygen into the lower lobes of the lungs. So we have to use the diaphragm. The more oxygen we can get into those lower lobes, the more of that relaxation response that will be triggered in the brain. Well, if we're only using 20 to 30% of our respiratory capacity because we've been tightening these breathing muscles our whole life, you're only getting 20 to 30% of the benefits of all of these exercises, these regulatory exercises that we're doing. When we can learn, and transformation breath is the tool that I, best tool that I've discovered to do this, when we can learn to breathe through our emotions, either in a session with, you know, with me or with another facilitator, you're learning to teach your body that it's okay to feel an emotion. It's okay to feel the loneliness. It's okay to feel sad. It's okay to feel angry. It's okay to feel it. And there isn't a good understanding out there about feeling the emotion and wallowing in it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I definitely do. I was taught that feelings peak for five minutes, the actual peak of them. So, And I would say in a transformational breath session, it moves way quicker than that because yeah. we're working with our breath in a conscious way. And we're so fearful of feeling the feelings. It's like, I like to use the analogy of getting on a roller coaster, right? You're lining up yeah, and you're in line and you're nervous, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then now you're on the roller coaster and the nerves start to build and you kind of want to jump off, you know, maybe not everybody, but that would be me. But that nervousness and fear when you, you know, now you're on the roller coaster, so you have to keep breathing, right? There's no, you can't run anywhere. So you have, and then all of a sudden comes that exhilaration of when we can feel it. Cause you know, when you're going downhill, you're just like, there's a release, you can't control it anymore. So you have to breathe. And that allows that transformation. The other side of anger is peace and joy. On the other side of sadness is happiness, contentment. And the other side of frustration is maybe acceptance. So there's all those things as long as we can get through them. But sometimes we're, we're not taught sometimes how to deal well yeah. with those emotions. Or we don't have permission because we might have been told big boys don't cry or women, right? Professional women. You can't show emotions in the workplace because that's a weak 
considered weak in a lot of environments, or we may, you know, for some reason, just be very guarded in our hearts. Maybe we grew up in a home with very strict parents where it wasn't okay to be emotional. Maybe our parents weren't able to handle it, or we grew up in an abusive home where we wanted to just stay low. There's lots of yeah, different reasons that we don't know how to emote. And so then if we don't know how, we're just going to keep avoiding. We're going to drink, we're going to shop, we're going to binge watch, we're going to do whatever we can to avoid those emotions. So a big part of what I teach too is like it's okay to feel those emotions and to actually be with them. And the more you do the work, the more com- it's like any the more comfortable you become with us. Well, that's why when I learned that feelings peak for five minutes, like, okay, so I want to lean into them so I can hurry up and get through. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) The only way they're happy ones like that, of course, like, okay, yeah, yeah, those for longer. We can, yes, because we can hold on to those for longer (laughs) and amplify them. And yeah, they're never you know, it's kind of like procrastination, right? It's often it's the thinking about thing that you don't want to do uh, is yeah. way worse than actually just sitting your butt down Absolutely. and doing it. Always, so, always. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Face, face so, your fears. Is there a correct way to breathe? Like, is there a way we're supposed to? I love the four seconds in the four seconds holding and then the four seconds release um, just for settling down or taking a breath or taking a moment. I think it's also good for falling asleep, actually. Yeah, it's really calming for our brain. It, it kind of helps us shut. It's almost meditative in yeah. for some people. It's an awesome way to fall asleep. I always try to stay away from like, is there a right or a wrong? Because then we get into our head. Am I doing it wrong? Oh, yeah, our that's, that's, that's me. I, that's the lawyer in me though. That's when I forget, yeah. like when I oh, started and I, meditating and it yeah. said, light a candle, look at it here and do this. I was like, wait, wait. And I was like trying to back it up, go, well, but where do I sit? How do I do this? Like I was getting so left brain about it. Like I was like, yeah, okay. Oh, yeah. scientist here. I totally yeah. get it. Like intuit. What do you mean you want me to? Enjoy? Am I doing it right? Is that an A yeah, or a B? That was that me. 90%? Yeah. yeah. So I totally <laughs> resonate with this. So now I like to use the word optimal. You know, we want an optimal Much breath, better. which means we want to flow. We do want to make sure we're using our diaphragm because if you're not using your diaphragm, you're not getting the full benefits of that, A, a full breath and B, getting that relaxation. I keep it in my hands up, you know, to, to get that relaxation response in the brain. And so how do we know if you're using your diaphragm? It's, you know, just lay down somewhere on your bed, on your couch, start taking some breaths. Don't try to be special about it. Just take some breaths, put your hand on your belly and just notice, is my belly rising on the inhale and falling on the exhale? And if it is, yay, your diaphragm's working. If it's not, now you might need to coax it. So maybe you've had some trauma in your life. Maybe you suffer from a lot of anxiety. You might've had physical trauma, like some surgeries or sexual trauma. You may be a person with a really big heart that says yes to everybody all the time and doesn't have good boundaries. You know, that really wonderful person that walked all over. Those type of personalities sometimes tend to have shallow breath in their bellies. And so we just do some very simple things, put a little pressure there, you know, just with the weight of your hand, bend your knees, lay on your tummy. All those different ways are going to start getting that diarrhea from moving. And then once we have the diaphragm moving, then you want to check in. Well, now is the chest, is the breath flowing up to my chest? And so again, you do the exercise laying down, you know, is the breath to my chest. And if there isn't, then you can just do the exercise sitting up in a chair or do it in bed with pillows propped behind you, kind of as if you were going to read in bed, that type of a position. And that's just going to kind of get gravity to work with you. I'm a big believer in making it easy. We don't, you know, the scientist in me wants to make it complicated and, you know, do it this and that. And I've learned, you know, let's make it easy. It doesn't have to be 
difficult. And I love our founder, Judith Kravitz, and, and my mentor, Jennifer Grombach from the Clearing Center. They are both, you know, they've just been so great about just like trust your intuition, trust that there's divine guidance helping, trust that everybody is on their own path. And whether, you know, you quote unquote, do it right or wrong is the perfect thing for them. If you do something and it pisses them off, well, maybe that's the trigger they needed to activate an old wound so that that will heal. And it's all perfect. There's no need to worry. We come and we bring our best to the table, you know, full integrity, and then just to surrender control to the process because our breath is magical. Our breath is it's the chi, it's the prana, it's the life force, it's the Holy Spirit. It is the one thing we cannot live without. And when we can learn to work with it, it just changes everything. You know, my going through something this, at the moment in our family, I'm here in Ireland and my family's, my husband is in California and we just found out that our dog of 10 and a half is diagnosed with advanced liver cancer and stomach, this spread to the stomach in Spain. So it's, uh, I'm sorry. It's yeah. awful. And just this action, this same thing happened about 18 years ago with another dog. I was in Ireland with my children. And my husband calls me. He's like, you know, the dog wasn't doing well. I took him to the vet and the dog was diagnosed with cancer and like, you know, went down within three weeks. He was, he was gone. So it was kind of, and so it's kind of interesting to see how I responded back then and how I'm responding now. And even how my husband is responding because I have changed so much and because I'm not trying to control it all because I'm like, okay, we're just going to take this one step at a time. You know, the dog wasn't doing well. Let's go to the vet. Let's see what the vet says. Okay. Now we'll take the next step. I didn't go down the worst case scenarios and didn't start, you know, that the old pattern would be to sort of, I call it pre-arguing, you know, saying to my husband, well, this is what we're going to do on step 10. And we'd have an argument about it, but it hasn't even happened, you know? And so just seeing how differently I've responded has actually been really eye-opening. I was out on my run this morning, reflecting on that. And the scientist in me is very pragmatic about results. And we can go and have nice experiences and, you know, meditate and, you know, feel light in the moment. But how is it actually showing up in your life? How is it actually showing up? And when I can go through a difficult situation like that, giving my husband, you know, the former control freak here is letting go and just saying, that's, yes, let's take it one step at a time. You're there, you're on the ground. I have to trust you. I'm not micromanaging him. You know, there's that little part of me that still wants to, but yeah, yeah, no, nope, yeah. I don't need to. And just even to be able, because he sent me a text, you know, it was the middle of the night, you know, for the time difference, I stupidly checked my phone at two in the morning because I knew he would have texted me with an update if he had one and got the news and, you know, crying in bed and the whole lot. But then just to be able to even, in that moment, just connect with the dog. And I didn't have that 18. I didn't have that ability. And just to be able to, you know, connect with her, you know, I believe she has a little spirit and it could all be in my head and my imagination. I mean, I don't know, but I believe that it's real. And it brought me such comfort to be able to do that. And so just the power of this work has brought me so far. It has brought me from the A-type overachiever, control freak to the work in progress I am today. There's no, people often ask me like, how many sessions do you need? And I'm like, well, how many salads do you need to eat till you're thin? You know, how many sessions at the gym till you're fit? It's a journey, you know, it's ongoing. It's like, how many podcasts till you're done? You know, you just keep yeah. going. It's what you, you know, you don't, there is no end point until it naturally we, redirects. Right. This is why we enjoy the process because there's no end point. This is just life. <laughs> this is just life. Yeah, better enjoy the process because this is, we're living it. We experience it and the good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful, like this is yeah, it. <laughs> this is it. And you breathe it in, you know, that there's a great phrase, you know, this too shall pass. To enjoy those good moments, but also know they shall pass, but the bad moments, they will and honor them and feel them. 
knowing that, you know, this sadness isn't going to be last forever. What makes it last forever is when we avoid it because then it's always just kind of hovering there. Absolutely. I was just helping somebody out yesterday and I said, the good news about life is we get to feel the bad news about life is we get to feel like yeah. <laughs> there's yeah. no escaping just mm -hmm. is. And, but everything works out and it all gets better. And as long as you go through it, because the only way everyone I've interviewed, like the message, like the only way through is through, like we yeah. have to go through it, but it passes, it all passes yeah. and we get through. What's the most common question you're asked when you tell people, oh, I do breath work with people. Like what? Well, first of all, I might get a face like, what? You do what? <laughs> and then like, why would I need to do that? That there isn't a connection out there between how we breathe and how we feel. People don't realize that those two things are related. Oh, We're not taught that you need to breathe through our emotions, that our emotions are actually just an energy in motion. And so in order to move, they need the breath. It's like the, I give the analogy of the belly laugh, right? The belly, and we can feel the belly laugh, right? We can feel it start in our belly and like come all the way up and out. You can feel a wave of anger. Like they're two, I use those as those examples are, because- yes, Those are extreme. <laughs> they're extreme. Yeah. So sometimes people don't, and they also don't understand that we store everything in our body. Like, why would I want to deal with a repression? Like that was in the past. That was 20 years ago. And so I always explain, like, I always ask the question, like, where do you store your stress? And they'd be like, oh, I store it in my neck or my shoulders or my low back. We all know where we, so then I say, so where do you store your grief? Where do you store your anger? We don't have an awareness. We're storing question. our stress. We're storing everything else. Oh, that's so and good. Because we, those repressions, we're repressing them. We're not letting them go. So they stay in our body. You know, we hold on to a lot of grief in our lungs. We hold on to a lot of anger in our jaw. Like if you've got TMJ, you got anger. I mean, exhibit A here. I used to have really bad TMJ and I did all the chiropractic and I did all the massages and that managed it. And then once I started doing breath work, I haven't had any issues. And we store live anger in our liver sometimes. So there's different things that we store in different parts of our body. We, so, we store a lot of our shame in our back. You know, our right side of our body is all about moving forward. That's kind of our masculine energy. So if that is, sometimes that's shut down or sometimes it's overactive, like in those eight type overachievers, you know, we're go, 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 but we might not be good at resting. And so like, I know, you know, as I went through this journey, I went through a series where I had all of these injuries on my left side of my body. Like I did something to my knee and then I did something to my hip flexor. And then I did something to my left wrist. It was all on my, and I couldn't figure it, you know, so I was like, oh, that's mean? weird. So that's all about stepping back, reflecting. And so that was the universe or my angels or spirit, whatever you want to call it, trying to get me to sit my butt down so that I could stay still and stop moving, moving, moving. Because there's a time to move and there's a time to step back. There's a time to reflect and a time to take action. And I was, you know, the achiever, the person who wants to, and I still, that's still my, I mean, I would say that's still my default. I will find myself when I'm like, I'm angry at my husband. He's, you know, annoyed me. I'll start, you know, cleaning, picking things up, you know, doing the laundry, cleaning the counter. Cause you know, I want to move and get busy, you know, to try and dissipate that energy and to just do something so that I don't have to feel what I'm feeling. And part of that is because I love him and I don't want to let my Irish temper fly at him. So I take a few breaths and then remember, then I'll be like, oh, oh, here you are, your old pattern. And then I'll say, you know what? I need a minute. Give me a minute. And I'll go take a minute or five minutes and then come back and have the conversation. That sitting back and reflecting was really hard for me in the beginning. It was really hard to shut it off. You know, you ask, somebody asks you, what did you do 
today, none of us really want to answer, well, nothing. <laughs> I did nothing. <laughs> I sat back and took yeah, a Yeah, because breath. we're... Because that pause is huge. I, you know, God is in the pause. <laughs> I have a sign I, I put, God is in the pause. <laughs> yeah. And there's so much to be gained, the change in perspective that you can get. Just, you know, Albert Einstein told, knew this, you know, years and years ago. He always said, if you read his work, and you wouldn't think of him as a spiritual teacher, right? We think of him as a physicist, but he was actually very connected. But he would always say he got his best ideas, not in his lab when he would go out on walks. It was because he would pause from the thinking and he would go out. And so I have do this little word game every day. And when I get stuck, I've learned all I need to do is stop, put it down for five minutes and then come back. And then I go, oh, boom, there's the answer. So for me, that reinforces the lesson to pause, to put it down. And so in life, when I'm getting stuck or feeling frustrated, just stop, just go sit outside for five minutes, 10 minutes. I'm feeling run down, you know, take a weekend, do absolutely nothing other than, you know, what I feel like doing. And it's changed a lot. I'm not perfect at it, but I'm getting there. Yeah, yeah. No, none of us. Like, perfection can only be a goal. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. What's the hardest challenge you're proudest of overcoming? There's been a number of challenges in my life, none devastating, but I think I'm proud of overcoming them because I tap into my resources. One of the first challenges that I want to share was when my son was diagnosed with autism. He was three, just, yeah, he was almost four, three and nine months. And I knew something was wrong, but I, a part of me knew it was autism, but I didn't want to admit it. You know, this perfectionist, you know, it was hard for me. I didn't know, you know, was it me? What had I done? As a scientist, I'd worked in a lab a lot with mercury. You know, he'd gotten all the vaccines, you know, there's all the things that you do to sabotage, you know, your own mental health. And I remember my husband really encouraging us to put him into a special preschool. And that was really hard for me. I was like, no, a child needs to be at home. I was that old school. They're not going to go to school till kindergarten. I want them at home with a parent. You know, I was in a foreign country and living in California, didn't have a huge friend base at the time because I was working in San Diego, not where I lived. And, and I remember just taking a moment of rare surrender to my husband, God love him. And I said, okay. And I said, we'll do it for six months. So I think that taught me to be very resourceful. And then a few years later, when he really started to struggle in school, I gave up my job, which was a really hard thing to do. You know, I had an advanced degree. I'd spent, you know, eight years to get where I was and I'd done very well in my job and, you know, all of that all of that stuff feels good, right? And I realized I needed to stay home with him because he was starting to struggle. And I was like, I'm not settling for this. He needs more. And I decided to use all of my science knowledge to help him. And, you know, at the time that was maybe 2007, gluten-free was like this fringe thing, you know, there'd be these weird, down where I lived, you know, Trader Joe's was probably your best option. They would have green tags on like the two gluten-free things they had in their store. And I started doing all of that and just spending that time working with him was so life-changing. He went from being, I would say, moderately autistic to mildly autistic. And he was always able to stay in mainstream school. And now he's enrolling in university here in Cork. So that was probably one of the challenges that as a mom, I had to sacrifice a lot. And so did my husband, because, you know, we went to every doctor, every alternative doctor we could, and it was all out of pocket. You know, we weren't going on dates because, you know, we might have $50 at the weekend disposable income. It's like, well, if we go out, we can either go out or pay a babysitter. We can't do both. (laughs) So we would have these home dates, you know, where we would just cook at home after the kids were in bed and, you know, we'd make it fancy. So we did. We lived very simply. And that I would say is one of the bigger challenges that 
we've overcome. I think that's really important. You had home dates, though, that you kept having the dates. Yeah, that is so important. Yeah. You know, my dad is one of 11 children, and I'm very lucky to have one of his sisters who's, because he's one of 11, my dad was one of the older ones, and my aunt that lives in San Diego was nearer the end. So she's only like 10, maybe like 10 years older than me. You know, we have children sort of around the same age. And I remember her telling me when my kids were born, she said, I'll give you the advice my mother gave me was to create a bedtime. It doesn't matter what bedtime it is, but set a bedtime. And so we did. So our kids' bedtime was eight o'clock. So I always knew no matter how tough the day was that they would be in bed at eight o'clock. And so then we would have our dates at, you know, we'd start cooking, you know, do a late dinner, do it European style, you know, and eat at eight, nine o'clock at night. And yeah, that's great. Yeah, I love that. Do you have a message of hope that you want to give? No matter where you are, you don't have to stay there. We forget that we have a choice. We forget. Sometimes we can't change our physical circumstances straight away. And I understand that. But you can change how you look at something. And I'm not encouraging anybody stays in a situation that's unsafe or dangerous in any way. You know, make a call, reach out. But sometimes... I've gotten there. I've created stories about my husband, you know, and some of our argumentative phases, right? You get into a run. He saw this, he saw that. We have a choice. We have a choice how we think about things. We can change our perspectives. We can change our stories. And there are so many free resources that we can avail of. You can simply sit your butt down for five minutes every day and take, do nothing other than take deep breaths by and keeping your awareness on them. If you do that five minutes every day, I guarantee you're not going to feel worse. You're probably going to feel a heck of a lot better. And we always have a choice. And kind of like me, when my friend told me I was disconnected, I didn't know what I was going to do with that. But as soon as I started to hear that and allow that awareness to really sink in, the universe responded. Because I had a choice in that moment. I can totally reject what she's saying and stay in my misery, or I can choose to explore, is there some truth to what she's telling me? And so that was the choice I took. And because of that, all of those doors opened up because that transformational breath class that had been going on for two years at that yoga studio that I frequented, I'd never before seen a flyer or noticed a flyer, but because I was ready. So you always have a choice and you don't have to decide where it's going to take you. You don't have to like, okay, I'm going to do this. And I need a result in like in a day or 10 days. You're, you just got to make the choice to change one or two little things. Be curious. So you have a choice and you can be curious. They would be the two things that I believe really set me on my path. And you've had a transformation in 90 minutes. And that's the thing. It doesn't take a year like, oh, I have to work on myself and I have to do this. And and once I do all these things, then I'll be better in a year. No, like we can be better now, like right now. We can be better now. Like we can do a five minutes of breath and like, oh my gosh. And then walk and miracles happen like all the time if we're open to them. It's unbelievable the serendipity of the world and life. And I mean, it really is like things can happen in a nanosecond that can change your life. Yeah, it's unbelievable. (laughs) I agree. And I just read an article before we, we started talking and I was and I listened to it or read it rather because they were said something about changing the, the mood to positive, right? I forget what the title was. And sometimes I'm wary of that because sometimes there's this like, let's bypass the feeling and just be positive, put on your, you know, pull up, put on your big girl pants and just, you know, and there's a time and a place for that. But sometimes you just need to, you know, power through, but you still have to come back and address that situation. Right. But I'm all about, you know, how can we feel, how can we feel what we feel and then turn it into the positive? Like I'm angry about something at work. I'm angry with my coworker. I'm angry about a situation. Well, now step back, feel that anger. And now let's use that to feel fuel change. How can I show up differently? I'm feeling lonely. 
or feel that loneliness. Well, now what can I do? Maybe I can reach out to somebody else. I know that's probably lonely too. And maybe I can help them and help me use it for the positive, like turn, feel it, and then use that energy of that emotion to create something positive. Use it, allow it to fuel you. And, and I loved that in that article. And it's an eloquent, more eloquent way of putting what I teach. <laughs> You're very good at what you do. How do you use community so important, especially right now, because everything's so fragmented? How do you create community? Obviously, I'm all over Instagram. And so I'm always available to talk with people. I live in a wonderful community community. I always tell people, you know, if finances are going to keep you from this work and you know that you need this work, like come talk to me, we can figure it out. Because, you know, I have a belief that while I value what I do and it needs to be valued by people, if someone's in, in a terrible circumstance and you need help, we'll find somebody to help you. I love to mentor people. I have a number of facilitators that I mentor. And that really, I just love that. I'm part of a Toastmasters community. There's so many ways to create community where you, you know, you know, I see so many people come through my weekly class and some are regulars and some come once a month and some come once in a blue moon. And it's so fun. And they all know that they can reach me. I'm pretty much in, you know, if you need me, you just reach out. I'm going to respond when I can. And I'm active in my community. And I love, I just love sharing what I do with people. I, yeah. I'm an extrovert. I love it. I'm a talker. I'm like, you know, everything but the singing voice to be an entertainer. I just love engaging with people. We'll have all your links will be available with the show notes online on the website at 52weeksofhope.com. So don't worry about that. Are there any spiritual practices that you do on a daily basis? Do you do your own breath work or what do you do? So every morning I do a meditation. I always spend time, you know, I call on my angels. I talk to all my angels. I follow a guy called, I'll share it with you because you might like it and your listeners. He's a guy, he's from England. His name is Steve Noble. He does these wonderful meditations on YouTube. Just Google or YouTube, Steve Noble. And he always starts his meditations by calling in the archangels. And so I usually start my days like that. I talk to Jesus a lot. I love Mother Mary. And then I have a meditation that I've been taught to do that I do. It sort of connects me with the earth, with all my chakras, with the heavens. And that's the way I start my day. And then I do breath work. I do try and do at least 10 or 15 minutes of breath work every single day. Once a week or so, I'll do a full session. And then of course, I'm always, you know, when I'm working with clients, I'm always doing the work, right? Yeah, right. And just remembering to, you know, everything's a meditation. We don't have to like sit on a mountaintop and own. It can be, you know, petting your pet, but really petting them. Like what does their fur feel like? Connecting with them, like noticing, like just being engaged and present with your pet. That's a meditation. Looking into your partner's eyes when you're having a difficult discussion or even a fun discussion, just really putting your, your phone down, not thinking about Oh, when he's done talking, I need to change the laundry or, you know, start dinner, you know, but really being present. Those are all forms of meditation going up for a walking meditation. So there that, you know, I exercise every day. I like to keep it practical and easy. And if you, you know, even if it's just taking, if you decide all I'm going to do, all I can do, because I'm so busy is every red light, I'm going to take as many deep breaths as I can. And then we're going to, when it turns green, we're going to go again until the next one. Do it. That is something. Just do something. Start something and be consistent. No, those are great. And getting as much oxygen in is, is so necessary too when you're outside. So those are great. Thank you. I've so enjoyed talking to you. And thank you so much for being a guest today. I'm 52 Weeks of Hope. Thank you. It was wonderful to be here. Yeah, I've so enjoyed this. 
I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and take with you Mary's messages of breath, purpose, and healing. Such great messages to take into our week ahead. Join us in our Facebook group where we talk about gratitude and healing and reaching your biggest dreams. We also have a monthly meetup in the 52 Weeks of Hope Facebook group with one of the guests leading each month in a healing modality. This month is a cool breathwork session for you, so be sure to join the Facebook group for this month's free breathwork session that we all get to do together. Such a great timing for this week's episode. Also, if you want to be in the know, get on the email list from the website at 52weeksofhope.com. Be sure to tune in next week for another amazing episode. We have a really dynamic episode next week, so you don't want to miss that one. Thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell two of your friends. I'm Lauren Abrams. Thanks again for listening.